Hi, my name is Charles Feltman. And my name is Ela Edgar. And we're here for Trust on Purpose. And we are back with Angela Cusack, author of Discover the Matrix, Integrity, the True Mark of Leadership. At the close of part one of our conversation with Angela, we were talking about leaders being able to recognize when they may have made a mistake and owning it personally and publicly. Angela, you talk about that in your book, I think around page 70 or 71, and you talk about confronting self-doubt, confiding in your team, and admitting faults. Hmm. And I know from my experience, often leaders in particular are hesitant to admit faults because leaders are supposed to be faultless. <laughs> Somehow we got this myth going that leaders are supposed to be faultless. Like, where did that come from, really? But it seems to be a prevalent notion, of, especially among newer leaders, mid-level. But it also reaches up into the higher levels. I've certainly seen the ability to be courageous enough to admit, oh, I screwed that one up. I messed that one up. I need to go back and clean it up. Not just admitting it to yourself that, okay, I did that, but I need to go back and clean it up. And that one is, well, on the one hand, it, when you see a leader doing that, hear a leader doing that, it really produces a sense of trust for most people in that leader. Wow, that person actually is willing to do that. But it's also a journey the person who's doing it. And you clearly have seen leaders do that in your career, and so it's woven into the book. Can you talk a little bit about what that mental or emotional shift is for a leader to step into that aspect of integrity? The aspect of integrity where they are discovering this place of risk and vulnerability for the first time? Yeah, or in particular... Being able to acknowledge that they've made a mistake oh. and not just acknowledge they made a mistake, but go back and clean it up to do what's needed, have the conversations that are necessary to address that and fix it in a way that is an act of integrity. Yeah. The time span takes as long as it takes, as we all can appreciate. And you were so kindly pointing to the first step is in them becoming very compassionate that they are human. So if there is no compassion and the conversation is one of, I should have, I would have, I could have, if I had only known, we have to stop the defensive protective mechanism of having excuses for why something went awry and why it may be my responsibility or not, and just be with compassion for oneself and simply allow that to be the impetus or the driver for how we want to be seen in the world. So in the work that I do where those opportunities arise, and they arrive for a leader with differing levels of risk associated with it, right? Sometimes the risk is really high and I'm really having to put myself out on the line and it may mean that I don't have a job at the end of the day. And there are other situations that are less important or have less intensity attached to them. And those are the times to really have a leader begin to practice, not when it's a crucible moment. Right. When the stakes are lower. Some of us wait until we get to a crucible moment and then we're like, all right, am I a woman of integrity or not? So in those moments, it is to the point that Ilya made earlier, it is about that pause. It's about reflecting and saying, and what brand do I really want to have in this world? And how do I get really clear that I am human? 
And as a human, I'm going to make mistakes and errors. And if I don't demonstrate that I make errors, I have a team full of people who don't feel like they have a safety net. I can tell them that they're safe, but they're never going to experience safety if they don't see me put myself out on a limb and say, guys or girls or team, I gave you a, a misguided step. I had some information that wasn't relevant, that I held as relevant, and it has caused you to do a lot of extra work unnecessarily. And for that, I apologize. How do we want to get back on track together? That, Charles, also takes a commitment to teaming with your team. Mm -hmm. Like a leader isn't going to go do that if they're not willing to do the work of teaming and seeing the team as an entity by which they want to engage in a holistic way in contrast to individuals who they may have a bias for or a bias against. Yeah. In other words, building trust with the whole team as well as building trust with each of the individual team members. Yes. It's a perspective that a lot of leaders don't quite get. And so that when they get to that point, it's really powerful for them. Oh, yeah, I got to build trust with the whole team and maintain it. Yeah. Well, it's the distinction between teams and groups. And, uh, you know, so much has been written about that, right. like Kazabak's book, Wisdom of Teams, who was one of many McKenzie people who wrote that book, very foundational premise. And we still don't get the distinction right. We call groups of people teams all the time. Yeah. And then we believe these things are just supposed to sporadically, spontaneously happen. And yet what we don't realize that also lives in the space between is this idea of how do we team with one another? How are we in the conversation that produces trust and trustworthiness? Yeah. And what do we do when trust is broken? What do we do when it needs to be repaired? Are we willing to be vulnerable and demonstrate our integrity when those moments of crisis and crucibles arise? I have a quote that I really like from Simon Sinek. A team is not a group of people who work together. A team is a group of people who trust each other. Yeah. And that's, I think, I love that too. That really says a lot to me in terms of creation of a team to create that trust. And that takes a leader who's willing to do what you're talking about, do the work that you're talking about. Well, let me just add this little piece on this concept of team for a moment. Because yeah. as you were speaking, a particular client came forward in my mind's eye. Although we've been doing the work of teaming for a really long time, it feels like a long time. What is still missing is many of the leaders aren't willing to do the work for their own self-integrity. It's a barrier to the teaming. So that shows up like, well, I know Angela has an agenda. I know she probably wants to be XYZ in this company. So I know she has an agenda. So I'm not going to reveal too much because I also want that job. So when there's competing interests, on members of the team who aren't willing to say to one another, yeah, I have an interest of growing up and being COO one day, or and it could be here, it could be somewhere else. It limits the ability of a team to trust one another because there's always a concern that, again, coming back to scarcity, that somebody's going to lose and they don't want that person to be them. So as much good work as we can do in a teaming type environment, we're still limited by our own capacity to hold integrity within ourselves and in relationship with other people to say what is so. I do have a question, and I think it's in the very first 
chapter of the book, I'm not sure, or maybe even an introduction. You talk about leaders needing to come to work and leave the self that's always looking to others to define themselves at the door. And I think I'm pretty sure, having read other parts of your book, that you are aware of the notion of vertical development, adult development, and that mm -hmm. probably 80% of people and probably 80% of leaders are really not at that developmental level yet. They're still at the level where their self-assessments and their integrity, all this built almost 100% on what they want other people to think of them, as opposed to, if you're using Keegan's terminology, Robert Keegan's terminology, they're at the socialized mind stage of development. So there needs to be some vertical development as well, perhaps, for people to be able to do that, to be able to really take a look inside. And Keegan talks about it's a self-creating mind, the ability to be oneself, recognize, yes, other people have opinions about me, and I do have some degree of concern about those opinions, but I'm the one who creates who I am, not other people. Do you want to talk a little bit about, what do you think about that? I guess is my question. Yeah, I'm on board with you. That is definitely one of the pieces that are missing. And I'm going to point to that it's our system. It's our global society that actually supports us not doing the work in the vertical domain. If we just use an organization, we hire people based on their technical skill, based on their expertise. And so what we don't necessarily value as an organization is the depth of the person and how that they will actually manifest it. We hire them first and foremost, most organizations do, based on that level of expertise. How many years do you have being an expert in this domain? So that external aspect becomes the brand. I don't have to ever reveal or do any vertical work because every position I get is based on my ability to manifest or to get the result that I've promised to get or that I've managed X number of people at a global capacity, whatever the criteria is. But imagine if organizations had an element of their hiring structure that says, so what do you really know about you? Yeah. It's super important for me to know about you. How would I know when that actually shows up? What gets you triggered? What causes upset for you? And how do you work with that as it relates to people that are around you? Interviewing questions like that or filling out applications, it doesn't exist, right? So right. we are perpetuating our own story, if you will, over and over and over that your work, my work, our work, we're attempting to create a disruption and say, and that isn't going to be fulfilling long-term. And the real work of leadership is in developing the trust with one another, with ourselves, developing integrity at a higher degree so that things such as dignity is present, compassion is present, inclusion can actually be present, honoring diversified points of view, cultures are present. Yes. That's a wonderful way of putting it on. And along with that, of course, we tend to hire people who are like us. Well, we tend to trust people who are like us. And that's an area of trust that we don't explore very often. But being able to trust that I can bring this person 
into my domain and you know, hire somebody who's going to work for me who isn't like me, who isn't going to just be a yes person to me and for me. And that takes, a, first of all, a lot of self-knowledge, self-understanding, and also courage to go, okay, yeah, I can do this. I can lead this person who has very different background, different experiences, and so on. And I think that's part of what we find in organizations is people have hired people who are like them. And okay, I hire somebody that I think thinks like I do, which limits my team's capacity to really grow. But I do also want to hire some, even if I am willing to let go of that, I also want to hire someone I can trust who maybe doesn't necessarily think how I think or look how I look or have the background that I have. That's a powerful indicator of self-trust for one thing, but also trust in the other person. Yeah, I agree. To me, that's where the components that you speak to, Charles and Ilya, as it relates to how do we evaluate somebody else's character? And if they care about the same things that I'm interested in them caring about, and you know, I've got a synergy from the moment that we say go. The other factors are not always readily available in the moment that we hire somebody, such as how reliable are you going to be? Are you going to do what you say you're going to do, right? Just as an example. So we could have sometimes leaders get caught up in they, well, they care about the same thing I care about, and they'll dismiss the other factors related to trust. And before we know it, we're in a situation of distrust. And how could I have ever trusted them in the first place? You then ask the leader to take a look at how do they do in those other domains? Are they reliable? Are they sincere? Are they competent in being able to say, yes, no, here's what I know and what I don't know? And what they quickly realize is, oh, wait a minute. I try really hard, but I don't do it either. Like, ah, so what is that like? Now we've got an opening to this space called integrity. That's kind of sometimes my opening to step into that space between. Yes. And often a lot of the values that people espouse, I put myself in this category too, are aspirational. I don't have that down yet, or whatever that is. I don't have it down 100% or even 80% sometimes. So recognizing that too, so that I'm not just aspiring to something, but I'm aspiring to something that's realistic for me and that I have a commitment to moving towards I may not ever get there 100%, but I'm willing to move towards it and really commit to moving towards it. Yeah. I'm thinking that we've covered a lot of ground here, and this is wonderful. I I want to go back and reread the book for one thing with having had this conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I want to read it in book form, actual holding the pages in my hand. So now that I can buy it on Amazon, I'm going to do that. But have really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. And I wanted to ask if there's anything in closing that you would like to say and leave us with and leave our listeners with. Yeah, our, our practice of living and leading in integrity isn't a solo job. It's not something you can do alone. We can only do it in relationship to other people that are around us because they are the mirrors that we need in order to see what we are missing. So I encourage the listeners and people who choose to read this book and other books related or like it to just remember this is not a solo journey. 
you're walking along a path, invite other people to be present with you and reflect with you and engage with you so that you can discover that part of you within your own matrix that supports you in having a much more fulfilled, satisfied, joyful life and one that's abundant. Beautiful. That's lovely. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to thank you so much for this conversation. It's encouraging me to pause and reflect on where I can have greater intention to my own integrity and the integrity of those that work with me, walk with me, support me. So thank you for that invitation. Charles, anything that you want to wrap up and say? I guess I would echo that. Exactly. And kind of what I was saying a moment ago about giving myself the grace to recognize that I need help. As you were saying, Angela, sometimes it's really valuable to walk with other people and put my hand out and ask for it. Mm -hmm. And it is aspirational sometimes. Integrity, real integrity is aspirational for me. Give myself the grace to accept that and to move with that and to live with that. Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for putting this book out in the world. I think it's a really good book. You say a lot in it that is well worth people reading and hearing. Been a real joy talking with you. Thank you very much. On behalf of both Charles and myself, we want to say a big thank you to our producer and sound editor, Chad Penner, Hillary Rideout of Inside Out Branding, who does our promotion, our amazing graphics, and marketing for us. And our theme music was composed by Jonas Smith. If you have any questions or comments for us about the podcast, if you have a trust-related situation that you'd like us to take up in one of our episodes, we'd love to hear from you at trust at trustonpurpose.org. And we'd also like to thank you, our listeners. Take care and keep building trust on purpose. Until next time. Until next time.